This is the Living Vertizano podcast brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Psalm 85 as a part of this time of Advent. In this passage, the psalmist holds together lament and love. Together, we discuss God's steadfast love and our role in bringing his love to those around us. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Back with you this week as we continue working through this Advent season with you guys. Um, As a quick reminder, last week we talked about light or what would traditionally be hope uh, for this season of Advent. Uh, We looked at Psalm 80, and as a part of this psalm, Um, the psalmist was holding together this idea of light and lament. And from it, we discussed how through the vulnerability of lament, we experience the fullness of God's life, light or or hope. Um, This week, we're going to be continuing this Advent series from the joy of every longing heart. And um, our psalm today is Psalm 85, which is a psalm of the sons of Korah, um, and this psalm has elements of lament as well and, and uh, prayer uh, and ultimately talking about this theme of, of, of steadfast love. Um, I believe we have Derek um, reading for us today. So Derek, would you read Psalm 85? Yes, yeah, Psalm 85, verse 1. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest." Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. All right. Thank you for reading that for us today, Derek. Um, I guess let's just go Let's go right for it. Uh, what are you guys seeing? What, um, what is standing out to you? Let's just begin this conversation on Psalm 85. I think first thing that, that I um, noticed when I was studying was the, the little bit of context. There wasn't a ton of context that I could find, and I... I guess from what I understand, we're, we don't know fully, but the best that we may be able to understand is that this is a post-exile um, period, and uh, you know the people of Israel came back to to their land, and in that they were expecting, you know, much like in Haggai, what we talked about with this expectation of what the temple was going to be like, and this they were they had some ex expectation that things were going to be like they were before, and things weren't going the way that they they had expected, and so it seems as if there was some frustration about what was going on. 
Well, and I know we talked about this a little bit last week too. Um, and perhaps that's why it's kind of on my mind, but as we start reading, um, I remember last week in Psalm 80, we, we made a point of the psalmist identifies God as shepherd right at the beginning. And here it's as if the psalmist is identifying God in, in a slightly different role, but still similar, similar thing by going through and talking about his faithfulness. And so the psalmist right at the beginning orients himself, um, toward God and just reminds himself maybe as he enters into God's presence that I know you are faithful. I've seen you do this before. We've, our people have seen you give us our land back. We've seen you restore what you promised to Jacob. We've seen you do all these wonderful things. We know that you can do this again. And, and so it's with that, that hope carried from last week that kind of brings us into um, a similar posture of the heart as we enter into this, I guess, kind of kind of lament type psalm once again. Yeah, I I think that uh, what you're saying is is validated just in the first what the second word the second word of the first verse of uh, this this psalm. Um, because so it says, "You Lord." So Lord is this second word and. Um, I think that the the English translation does a disservice to us because it just says Lord, um, and Lord is used throughout the entirety of Scripture, but Lord encompasses many different titles of who God is. Um, but here specifically in this passage, when we see this word Lord, um, we we see the word, or we should see the the Hebrew word Yahweh, and I think that's important for us, especially with what you were just talking about, Natasha, and as we move forward into this psalm, because Yahweh is the the personal name of God that was given to, to Moses. Like, it's not just this outsider, like, naming this force, but it's actually God himself giving this name to Moses, saying, this is, this is my name, and he gave him that name as a, a sign of the promise as a sign of this, like, I will deliver. And this is how, you know, I will deliver because I am telling you, I am like Yahweh. This is the name you can give them when, when you go in and, and you tell the Israelites is what's going to happen. And they question you, you can say, well, Yahweh is the one who sent me. Um, and so, when when the psalm opens with this title, this very specific title of God, I, I think it is very directly and and specifically pointing to God's faithfulness historically and his covenant faithfulness that exists throughout time. Um, and so I think I think, as we work through this passage, we will see this playing out in the expectation of the playing out of this understanding of God being Yahweh. I feel like even as we work into verse four, where he says, restore us again, he's, he's asking God, recognizing that God has been faithful in his portion of the covenant, that they be restored to that same faithfulness, that they would be, you know, upholding their portion of this covenant. Um, 
the covenant is only is only able to be fulfilled if we're both if both sides are working to fulfill the covenant. You know, we have a marriage, Brittany and I are married. In our marriage covenant, it's only effective if we both are willing to say that we are equally working toward keeping the these these covenants that we've this covenant that we've made with one another. And so I feel like it's this recognition of knowing what God has been faithful throughout this whole time, even in the midst of what they're going through, and this this um, call of repentance to to the people of Israel to to be restored. It, a personal call, but a call that's meant, I think, for more than just the writer. Yeah, I think the theme of repentance really does emerge here as we move into verses 4 and 5, um, and we're the psalmist is using phrases like, put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? And these types of statements um, lead us to assume that there must have been, and we know, right, from from his history, we know that the Israelites were unfaithful over and over and over, and that, that God's response um, from their perspective was, that they, they weren't receiving the fullness of his blessing because of their disobedience and because of their unfaithfulness, because God is faithful. And so when he said, I will bless you as long as you keep my covenant, and if you do not, then I curses will fall on you. It's like, I mean, he is faithful to keep that promise, even in their unfaithfulness. And so this, this repentance piece that emerges here, you can tell it's like they've said, there must have been, I feel like there must have been this place where they've come to him and said, God, we, we know we've messed up, but are you going to keep being mad at us forever? Can we move past this? They're looking for a restoration of the relationship. They want the covenant to be re-remembered and realized again. And um, as I think about that, again, this isn't so different from where we often find ourselves. Um, God, I've done it again. I me- I missed it again. I messed it up again. But are you going to stay mad at me forever? Will will you be displeased with me forever? Can can we fix this? And then can I try again? Can we do this again? Can you can you pour out your blessings on me and through me so that way when the world looks at me, they see your glory shining through me. And so I feel like you can feel Feel that heart or that theme of repentance that you just pointed out, Derek, right here. I think that with that, um, what I notice is, and I, I talked about this a little bit on on Sunday as well. Um, so the psalmist opens with this statement, this identification of salvation, right? Like this moment of salvation where God has delivered the Israelites and they've They've been um, restored uh, to to their land, right? So, so there's this deliverance, this initial deliverance that takes place. But then, as you guys have been talking about, when you move into like verses four through seven, you see this conversation where even even while existing in the initial deliverance, there is the need for continued deliverance, like. They're no longer needing deliverance from the Assyrian Empire, right? Like the the deliverance looks different, but the deliverance is needed nonetheless. Um, and so, it when I 
when I read that and when I think about it for us, um, I think this was one of the biggest things that I took away from our conversation on, on this particular Psalm. Um, because I think that too many of us, when we think about salvation, we think that it's like this, the starting point. And it's only at the starting point, right? Like we are saved. And then after we're saved, like it's, we're, we're like in relationship now. So we don't need saving anymore because we've been saved. But the reality is like, we are dependent moment by moment on God. And, and the psalmist identifies this here. And psalmist last week identified that as well. We're dependent on God moment by moment. Yes, to be saved initially, but to continue to be being saved as we journey through life. Like, we are always in need of God's deliverance. I, biblically speaking, like, the guarantee is that sin is crouching at our door. It desires to have us, but we must master it. And when I when I think about what that might actually look like played out, that looks like continual deliverance. That looks like continual salvation. As we lean into him, he continues to deliver us from what would try to have us. And I mean, that's such that kind of that level of faithfulness, despite our unfaithfulness, that's this steadfast love that we we come to in our Advent theme this week. It's, it's an incredible love to be able to give yourself for someone and knowing full well that they will betray, betray you again and again and again and again. And I feel like that that's our, that's our relationship. That's our interaction as humanity with the creator of the universe. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we sang the song Reckless Love on Sunday as a part of our worship. And I feel like that's, that's really what this is. It's a reckless love because the world would tell you, we, there's no way that you should be spending time, you know, get away from people like that. Don't, don't spend time, time with people who are going to treat you badly, who are going to break their promises. You don't need to, you don't need to deal with that or go through that. And yet the God of the universe who really doesn't need us chose to endure our betrayal and our unfaithfulness again and again and again. That's love. Yeah. This, this idea of um, steadfast love that you brought up is it comes out in, in verse seven where it says, show us your unfailing love. Um, again, with the Hebrew conversation like that, uh, I'll probably mispronounce it, so don't quote me on the Hebrew word, but it's hesed, uh, H-E-S-E-D. Um, and like that that carries with it just a really broad understanding of, of love. Um, it can be translated as, I, I made a list of it, it can be translated as um, kindness, loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyalty, love, unfailing love, and loyal love. Um, it's indicative of a covenant commitment. Like it is... It is a love beyond what we probably really can comprehend. Um, and 
as I, as I think about that, um, like the, like you just said, like the God of the universe is, is so committed, so loves us that he is that committed to us despite our lack of commitment that he is here and whether we hold up our end of the deal or not, he is here like that. That's what happened with Abraham um, early on. I don't remember the the exact reference. Obviously it's in Genesis. Um, but when he calls Abraham and um, Abraham falls into a, a, a trance, I believe is the word that's used falls asleep. Um, and he has this dream and the dream is God has made this covenant with him, this commitment and it's a covenant made in blood. And so there's animals that are actually like chopped in half and uh, put across from each other. And there's a series of them. And um, this would happen traditionally where two members that are making a covenant, when they're making a covenant in blood, the, the cost is death. So if somebody betrays this covenant, they are to be put to death. death. And that's a, it's like the most serious covenant you can make with somebody. And so God makes this covenant with Abraham, but he doesn't make Abraham walk through it. He walks through it. And Abraham watches. Like this is the covenant commitment that God has made to Abraham and to creation subsequent to that. And so just this, this level of love, like I, I get, we, you know, we say this word steadfast love. I gave that list already that of what that can be interpreted as, but I just, I don't know. And maybe even my explanation just now didn't fully do it justice, but that is the depth of the love, the steadfast love that we are talking about that, that God has for his people that the psalmist is referencing here. And, and that's just incredible. It, it, to me, Nick, as you share that, it just shows the consistency of God. Despite our response, He is consistent. You know, we, we spend our Thursday evenings coming up, like we, we share a word to say who God is. And as you said that, to me, I, I see God as consistent. Because despite what my response is, He is going to pursue me. He is going to remain faithful to the covenant. And, I, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't know, because you see, he, as, as we began this passage, like the psalmist talks about the past and how God's love was there with them in the past. He's asking for God's love in the present, and they don't yet see it, but God's love is coming in the, in the future, in the fulfillment of 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 the law and the prophets being Jesus. And so like God is consistent and his love for them is so consistent that he is willing to continue to work within them. And, and, you know, as these individuals like the psalmist here um, come about or the prophets that we've seen as we went through Haggai and Malachi, he's using people to remind people of who he is and how how consistent he is despite their response. And like as we move into verse eight, I mean, this has to be our our position in this covenant relationship. I will listen to what God the Lord says. 
And he has so many promises for us. And all he's asking in return is that we do our very best to live into that faithfulness that he has displayed, is displaying, is and is going to continue to display. I, I love that piece of resolve that comes in verse 8, that I will listen. And so like when confronted with, with this steadfast love, our response is, is to listen and, and listen in obedience. And that's, I, I feel like there's no other response that you can, you can offer or that you can give except to listen and obey. And I think it's important that you point that out because listening isn't enough. If we just listen and we don't respond, then we're, we're, we're missing out on our portion of the covenant because we can be great listeners, but without the response, it's, it's essentially like falling on deaf ears. I've often heard that the English language kind of divorces the idea of listening and obedience and that the psalmist would have never had those two distinctions present. But we've had to, as a culture, like it's different to listen and then to obey. And because we've distinguished between the listen and obey pieces, it's created complication in our culture as we try to do what he says and as we try to live out our life in pursuit of, of him. I think when I when I hear you talk about like this this piece of listen, um, you were saying that everything that came before Derek uh, kind of re- revealed or exposed like the the faithfulness of God and and like uh, this this continued like pursuit of God and and it totally does the piece that I feel like it exposed for me as well, like the, the both and conversation is, and I think it goes in with this listening thing is like God's presence. Like the God being Yahweh talking to like going back to that statement about with Moses, like God saying, I am, that was a promise of presence as well, both with Moses and with the people subsequent to that. And to hear somebody, to, to listen to somebody, that somebody that's being listened to has to be present or you can't hear them. And so I just, I see this theme of, of God's presence. Like the, throughout history, God was present in our current situation, you know, verses four to seven, like we, we, we are in expectation of God's presence. God, we need your presence among us. And then as you move into verse eight and beyond, like as a result of God's presence, you see his characteristics at work in the world, right? You see that peace comes. You see that salvation is present. You see that his glory is dwelling in the land. You see that faithfulness meets together with right, with love and righteousness and peace kiss each other like you you see these characteristics of god being played out in creation as a result of his presence in creation 
and a recognition of that presence. So as you say that, I feel like I, I have to ask the question then, does that mean that we as the church, if we are conduits of the presence of God, are not being that to the people around us? If we are a conduit for for God to work through, granted, He doesn't have to just work through me, but it makes me beg the question, are we not seeing this same resolve in people because that same resolve is not lived out in us. If we expect people to change, if the expectation is that God's using us to, to help people find change, I know that I, I'm not the one who can bring that, but I can be a vessel that can be used to help bring that. And so I feel like, I feel like that's where I land. Like, is that, is that what we're missing? Are we missing out on being these conduits of the presence of God for people that we encounter on a daily basis. Demonstrating his steadfast love to those around us is contagious. I mean, it, it changes, it changes an environment. I was just sitting talking with, with some, some friends and we were talking about kind of interactions with, with uh, some people. And as they're, as they're kind of talking about the interactions, we're, we're all kind of realizing, oh my goodness, like, when we decided, you know what, this person maybe isn't as nice, but when we respond in a different way, when we let Jesus lead us in our response instead of, instead of, you know, allow you know, culture to allowing define culture, what we yeah, to do. define how we should react, right? Like you're, you're, you're treating me not the way that I should be treated, but when we allow Jesus to kind of lead us and guide us into that, there's love displayed and that love completely transformed, right. like the other person and it, it and and all of us are sharing these independent experiences um and and so you know bearing testimony to this reality and that's truth that when we meet when we meet uh, hostility or anger or frustration and we meet it with this kind of steadfast love that god demonstrates um it it brings his kingdom here. And that's when we get to see those all those things played out that you were just reading through Nick at the end of this psalm. Yeah, I think, Derek, as I heard you um, asking the question you did, the other thing that I thought about was, I guess, the, 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 the knee-jerk instinct-like kind of answer to your question was I feel like most of us in the church are kind of stuck in this place um, where our prayer is very much like... Um, the prayer in verses four and five and no further. Like it, it's the prayer of restore us again, God, our savior, put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Like it's, it's just like this, like this recognition that, that God is in control and God, are you just, are, are you going to continue to allow this to happen? And so it's almost like this. I, 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 I fear that as, a whole, not necessarily everybody, but kind of as a whole, as a church, we have stepped back and kind of removed ourselves from responsibility of what's going on around us. And simply are praying for deliverance from the stuff that's going on around us rather than like what this psalmist does, 
praying about that stuff, but praying in expectation that this will change. Praying in expectation that that God's presence is going to change everything. Like we we just we don't I, I guess our expectation is more that someday we are just gonna come out of it. Really, our expectation, like this psalmist, should be that someday like the presence is going to transform it. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But we have got to, as a people, be resolved to like have a renewed expectation of God's action in us and through us, like you were saying, Derek, that, that we believe will change the world. And, and much like we talked about on Sunday, I think even if it doesn't come in our lifetime, it shouldn't change our resolve to continue to live this out. Right. Our resolve shouldn't change. And that, that, I mean, obviously that's easy sitting here as we're having this discussion, but I mean, truly our resolve should not change. God, in His love, that is constant. The variable in the whole equation is us. And so if our resolve is like, uh, this is just the world we live in and that's how it's going to be and that's our mindset... How could that's we ex- how it's going to be there? Yeah, how could we expect God to do anything different? But like, if our if our lament starts like the psalmist did here, and we remember what God did before, like remember the great things that God did. You didn't just wake up and this was the way it was. God worked before you woke up. God was working in the past, and so like I don't want to live in the past, but I do want to celebrate what God's done in the past and know that the past can still be that that can still happen today because he is constant. In this equation of life, he is constant. I'm the variable, and I just pray that he can help me every day to grow closer to being constant like he is. Well, and I think, um, like, Natasha, you were talking about listening and obeying. I think that's where we kind of get off. We get, oh, this is the way it is, and God, you've got this. But not realizing that we have, we have a part to play here, that mm-hmm. we have to listen and obey. And a lot of times I think we stop at that verse seven and we just don't go any further. They so were like, Oh God, look, look at all this. And what are you going to do? And won't you do something about this? But not realizing that he's been trying to, he's been talking to you <laughs> <laughs> and you need to listen and obey. And I think that's a lot of times, you know, in situations that I've been in that I have been like, Oh God, look at all this. What are, what are you going to do here? And he's like, well, knucklehead, I've been trying to talk to you and trying to get you to do something. Um, I think we really need to sit around and think about, you know, the situation that you're in is God, are you listening to him about the situation or are you just complaining about it? Brittany, I feel like you point out a very important, like, turning of the corner in this psalm between verse seven and eight. And I don't think I'd ever, I mean, I know there's a division that exists there because I read some commentaries and they were like, well, there's chapter, there's verse one to three, and then there's verse four to seven and there's verse eight to 13. Um, but with what you just said, I, I feel like there is a very clear corner that is turned that moves from this, um, like recognition of, of the need for God. Right. So show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation, need for God. Um, The verses before that also need for God. And then into verse 8, 
So show us your unfailing love, Lord. Grant us your salvation. Corner turned. I will listen to what the Lord says. Like it's this, it's this movement from God, I need you and I'm dependent on you to now I will do what you ask to participate in this deliverance, to participate in this salvation. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. I think I'm also struck by the outcome that the psalmist expects. So he, he, there's a lot of wonderful things here, but in verse nine, he says that his referring to God, that his glory may dwell in our land. And like, this is his end game that God's glory would dwell in the land again. And, and that doesn't necessarily translate directly to, you know, typical blessings that we would ex- expect to experience. Um, but rather that in the suffering, in the difficulties, we're going to have his peace. We're going to know his faithfulness and his love and his righteousness and all these things. And so I think the psalmist really captures that well, that, that his heart is to see God's glory dwell in the land, not to see his success or his deliverance from his suffering or his plight, but rather to see God's presence. As you talked about earlier, God's presence come, his kingdom come and fill the land and transform it. I also see the language change a little bit when we get pat like from eight to 13 in verse one, it talks about God, you poured out your blessing on your land. But in verse 9 and 12, it says, our land will be filled. And then 12 says, our land will yield its bountiful harvest. I think it's easy for you to say, you know, God, I saw what you did there. But I think sometimes it's harder for us to say, God, you're going to do it here too. Like, I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey and I'm going to see you do things in our land, not in the land far away, but here and now, right now. Yeah, it cha- like it changed from uh, like God's mission, and it became our mission mm-hmm. as we like as this prayer turns to I will listen. It's as if He is literally uh, in the listening, like He is joining with God, and we are we are going together now. Like before, we were kind of separate, and now we are we are in this together. And I'm going where you go, and now. What was your mission has become our mission. And the, there's a powerful expectation for belief and for for all these things to come to fruition. I guess it makes me think of, of the last question that we so often um, share about in our, in our um, small groups and or in our encounter groups. And we... You know, the question usually is, is we allow Jesus to ask us the question and he'll say, um, the facilitator might say something like, okay, does anyone have enough faith to declare a prayer of belief, to believe God for these things that we've come to him and asked him for? And now let's talk to, let's talk to Jesus about, about that and declare our belief and our faith and, our belief and our faith in some mysterious, miraculous way does 
it moves mountains. And I can't explain why or how or, and logically it really doesn't make sense to me. Um, but, but I've seen it and I've experienced it. And the psalmist concludes with this kind of prayer of, and, and declaration of belief. God, we, we know that you will do these things. It, it, it's now, it's now a statement of what will come as opposed to God, what we'd like to come. And so we have this Psalm here speaking of the steadfast love of God. And we've been talking about our, um, our role, our responsibility, our, our invitation of participation um, in the, the revealing of this steadfast love to the world around us. And so I guess, you know, the question comes to, and maybe we'll just ask the question that Natasha asked already, and maybe this is the question that we need to be reflecting on. But what are you believing God for? Like, what are you believing for him to accomplish through you and around you? How is is God calling you to be a beacon, a, a, a reflection of his steadfast love in the world? And do you believe that he can do that in you and through you? As we journey through this season of Advent together, we recommend purchasing Joy of Every Longing Heart, an Advent devotional, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.